Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Okay, we're live. She's saying she can't see. All right. Here we are. Hey, welcome to Saturday night. I am Monique Dusan, and this is the show, All the Things. Where we discuss all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. And I'm Krista Bontrager. Also known as? Theology Mom. Yes. And helping us on the show this week and every week, all the way over at the house, is... Yes, we're in the office. The one and only Bob Bontrager. All right, and helping us in our chat box tonight is Miss Mrs. Laura Hartley and Mr. Jeremy Webb. Yes, and we are live, so we want to invite you to add your voice to the conversation. Uh, we do actually read the comments during the stream. Yes, we do. This we is do. not one of those live streams where, where nobody reads the comments. There's that. <laughs> those irritate me. Well, there's that. No, we, we really do read the comments. Yes, we do. Please support our show. Um, Hit the like button. Give us a thumbs up. Share it out with your friends. Tell a friend or an enemy about the show. Tell a friend or an enemy, yes. Yes. This is going to be a good show. You guys are going to want to share this show. Your pastor, your elder team, uh, your friend, the random stranger at the grocery store. It's going to be a great show. And this show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity. Family 210 Clothing. And a Theology Mom podcast. So what's our design for tonight? Oh, it's this one. Speak Truth to Error. Yes, one of my favorite shirts. I love that shirt. Um, Many people say Speak Truth to Power. And, you know, not all power is bad, nor does all power need truth spoken to it. So we say Speak Truth to Error and put it back in its proper context. We need to speak truth where there is error. Yeah. And $10 of every purchase goes to help support our family or support the ministry if it's a CFBU shirt. Yes. So you can find that at family210.com. Yes. Okay. So what have you been up to? Working night and day. Working. <laughs> yes. Um, gosh, I was thinking of a couple songs that just popped into my I know head. you are. I know. They, it's I know always the songs. Yes. And if you know, you know. And if you know, you know. Yes, I've been working a lot. I've been writing a lot. Um, and office stuff insurance is like the bane, the bane of, of my existence. <laughs> and it's so funny because I spent a couple of years actually working for a major insurance company when I was much, much younger. Um, so I would like life insurance, fire insurance, like car insurance, whatever. And yet this insurance is just a different beast, <laughs> you know, like writing car insurance or a life policy to me, it just is like, yeah, that makes sense. But trying to do workman's comp, I'm like, you know, why don't, why don't these numbers add up? So I think we're a little off center. I think you should move over. Where, move over where? This, this, this direction. Okay. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of almost falling over off the, off. There we go. Now we're a little better. All right. So are you going to ask me what I've been up to? Yes. What if, what if you, I cannot <laughs> see because I don't have my glasses. So I'm trying to figure out where no, we are you? We can't switch to another camera. So you I know. can't really away. sneak away. <laughs> there you are. We're a mess. Yes. What have you been up to? Uh, 
a lot of a lot of writing. I'm working on a couple of blog posts right now um, for the rest of the year. Try to get them knocked out. You are um, much better than me. <laughs> I'm doing a blog post right now on reparations. Yes. And um, you got five dollars. <laughs> Sorry. No, I don't want that fake money. Give me the real thing. <laughs> California just is talking about giving reparations. I haven't read much up. On I, I read up on it today. Okay. Yeah. So am I going to get my 40 acres and my mule? Well, if some people have their way, you're going to have $300,000. Won't you do it? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing. There's a lot of different plans. They, they don't, they don't, all they've really done is appointed a committee to discuss it. So it's not going to show up till like I have kids. Probably. And yeah. my kids have great grandkids. Yeah. It's a, it's there's a lot of different scenarios that they're talking about. Well, of, in the meantime, can I get five dollars? <laughs> Gas is expensive. It's five dollars isn't going to get you very far around here. <laughs> five dollars won't get you one gallon out here. <laughs> That's true. That is a fact. Okay, so uh, let's check in with everybody. See who's on. Jeremy's here. Ashley's tuning in. Candy from Canada. Hello, Jamie. Yes. Jeff Davis. Oh, my Uncle Jeff. Hey. Okay, look, I am so sorry. And I know we have never done this in the three years that we've been doing um, all the things, but I have to get up because I have got to get my glasses. Otherwise, (laughs) this show is going to go very different than how Krista originally expected it to go. And I don't want to have that conversation later. So I'll be right back. Talk amongst yourselves. We are on live television. You're just going to get up and leave? I got to get my glasses. Okay. Well, all right. Let me do some more check-ins here. Hopefully someone else is watching the stream. Okay. Over on Facebook, Rihanna's here. Um, (laughs) Rihanna says, oh my goodness, California is about to be so broke. (laughs) We, we, uh, yeah, the country, the state, we, we got so many, many problems. When you go woke, you go broke. Maybe that should be our motto. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready now? Hi. All right. I am now back. Okay. I am so sorry. Okay. So big topic tonight. Yes. What's our big question? Should every church be multi-ethnic? And I, I'm so glad we're tackling this topic because we've normally tackled it privately. I think- Or in pieces here and there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we've never had the big discussion. I think when I came home and we were originally having our myriad of arguments- <laughs> I was so in the mindset that every church had to be multi-ethnic. You had this, this big ideal. Yes. Yeah. And if every church wasn't multi-ethnic, then it was clearly in sin. Let's just be honest. Um, Until one day, I remember we were on a walk and you were like, well, the church is multi-ethnic. And I was like, what church are you talking about? Because the church we were at at the time, I was like, (laughs) is this somebody I missed? are you going to a different service? Do they hang out like in the back? I didn't know what you were talking about. Um, but yes, you actually mentioned the global church. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't think about that. But I think that was such a reflection of just how um, inwardly focused we can be as Americans yeah. and not really thinking about, you know, the the larger body of Christ. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on, and I mean, not, thoughts about all that but some no introductory comments introductory comments i have to admit like it's not a question i had given a ton of thought to before we met and started interacting about it i was just going on in my little merry life you know yes i do know (laughs) 
I, I really do know. <laughs> and then you're raising all these questions. I'm like, well, I've never thought of that before. I don't, well, let me think about that. I don't know. That was and, like your favorite thing. She would <laughs> multiple times a day. I've never thought about that before. Let me wow. Think. Let me think about that. I mean, just, just slow down, calm down and let me think about it. Cause I am like level 100 when I talk about things that I am extremely passionate about and I am extremely passionate about race, justice, and unity. And she'd be like, whoa, whoa. whoa. Like if I could do my, my Kristen impersonation, whoa, like, hold on. Let me think about that. Yeah. So we're going to kind of start at the beginning and, and break it all the way down because you know, when we're out on the road, we talk to a lot of pastors, they have this question when I do Zoom calls yeah. with churches who inquire about having you or both of us come speak. This is an issue that comes up. So we have a fair amount of experience addressing this question, but I like what you said. We're going to kind of try to do the whole thing, yeah. you know, uh, kind of the biblical framework. Now, Hopefully we'll have some follow-up conversations of the practicals yeah. with some pastors that are actually doing this. Yes. So we're not pretending to say like, hey, we've planted 45 churches and we know that what's up. Yeah. We're just going to um, give a biblical framework as best as we understand it and as best as we've seen it lived out by churches that are doing this well. Yes. And um, try to address some some big issues because I think that when we talk to in particular, white pastors, the, the question that's lingering in the back of their minds that some of them are even too afraid to even mention to us mm -hmm. is that um, they, they're, they're concerned that there's something defective mm -hmm. about their church yeah. because it's predominantly white or monoethnic. They're not really sure what to do. They think maybe they should do something related to race, they're even maybe privately concerned their church might be racist. Mm -hmm. It's hard for them, awkward for them to talk about it. So mm -hmm. we're going to have all the awkward <laughs> questions yes. tonight and um, try to talk about that. Okay. So something that we do a lot mm -hmm. um, with a pastor when they come up and start asking us about this is we ask them a very direct question. Yeah. What's that? Should our church be multi-ethnic? Should all churches yeah. be multi-ethnic? Well, I think when they're when they're asking about their church, yeah. you know, they ask like, hey, should my church be multi-ethnic? Or should all churches be multi-ethnic? And they yeah, they're yeah. normally like they usually yes. they usually respond yes. in, in, in one they all respond kind of the same way, a quick, unqualified yes. Yes. They're, they're very quick. And Allison's asking a really good question. She says, could you start by defining what multi-ethnic means? Yeah. Meaning not predominantly white or not primarily one ethnicity, like a Chinese church. This is a very important question. That we'll get, we're going to get yeah. to it later. Yes. But um, there is a little bit of an assumption mm -hmm. behind that, that term. Mm -hmm. What would, what would you, your answers be? I think that how it's often used in the evangelical vernacular is it refers to a predominantly white church taking steps to become more ethnically diverse. Yeah. That's typically how the, the term is used. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So yeah, pastors usually respond should all churches be multi-ethnic? Should my church be multi-ethnic? They usually give a quick unqualified yes. And then what's the Bible verse they all 
quote. Revelations 5 or Revelation 7. Yeah. Yeah. And every tribe, tongue, nation. Yeah. Bob's got that um, for us so he can uh, put that up on the screen because almost universally, this is the verse that pastors quote. Hopefully, Bob's got that. I don't know if I'm going to see that. Will I see that, Bob? Um, maybe I won't. I'm not sure we should. There it, there is. it is. Okay, great. So gonna, there we go. So this is the John's vision of heaven. He says that there was a great multitude. No one could count every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne, worshiping the lamb. Every pastor that we talk to about this, this is the this yeah. is the passage that they bring up as their proof text mm-hmm. for why all multi, why all churches should be multi-ethnic. Yes. I have a theory. <laughs> that, I know you do. Because <laughs> I, I, know you I got a hundred of them. Uh, that this is a lot of social programming that's happened, especially over the last few years. Say more about that. Because I have some thoughts about that too. Go ahead. I think that there's this idea floating around that, the multi-ethnic church is the ideal and the, that we've been, there's so much messaging that if you are a predominantly white church, that there is something kind of defective about that and that good leadership will transition that church into being more multi-ethnic, multicultural. Yes. So how I see it is that, and what I used to believe is that every church should reflect the kingdom of God or, or the kingdom of heaven. Revelation 7. Um, yeah. I know. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, and in doing that, one, we, we just, we reflect heaven, but two, that to have an all white church, it, it is a bit defective. Like it will produce or um, yeah, produce, I would say like white supremacy or mm. um It'll continue to perpetuate white privilege and all of those things. There wouldn't be any understanding of, of other people or other people groups that are also in the body. And so the call is for white churches to become um, multi-ethnic so that you can have a fuller revelation of um, the kingdom and yeah. yeah, what, what, who's represented in the kingdom. Yeah. So when we think about this passage and, um, our friend Uncle Jeff is a little bit, you know, he's right in step with us. He says the revelation model, and Bob, this is on YouTube, the revelation model is not prescriptive, but descriptive. And I think that what it's descriptive of is really, really important. Yes. Um, that it's not describing the local church. Yes. It's describing the universal global church worshiping in the throne room of heaven and that that is a snapshot of a reality that's already happening and will continue to happen yes and i think one of the things that we talked about early on is the reality of matthew 28 19 mm. and how in matthew 28 19 we receive the command to go to go into all the nations and as we go into all the nations well what happens we we spread the gospel evangelism takes place people's hearts are transformed people come into the kingdom we see evidence of this at pentecost but 
when you look beyond Pentecost and you see what's happened over the last 2000 plus years, Mm -hmm. the result of that is a multi-ethnic body. And that is greater than the individual local church. Yeah. So when we think about Revelation 7, what we're talking about is a global church, the historic church, the universal church. But you're absolutely right. And Bob could put up Matthew 28, 19, uh, or 18 to 20. I think I sent that to him so that, you know, we can see Jesus's kind of find some of the final commands of Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, he's telling the disciples, therefore you go mm-hmm. and make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. So there Jesus is more explicitly starting to open it up to the Gentiles, baptizing them in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus leaves him with that command. Acts 1-8 gives him the power mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Then we go to Acts chapter two. Bob, could you put that up there for us? Two is, is Pentecost. Um, I like to say it the way that our friend, Dr. Harold Felder says it. The church has been multi-ethnic since, since the pe- beginning. Yeah, since, since Pentecost. Pentecost. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I love the way that he says that because, you know, we see here um, as the Holy Spirit goes out, it says God, there were God fearing Jews in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. Well, what that's meaning is every nation in the Roman empire, yes. you know, was mm-hmm. the, the known world to them. And, and they, they start hearing the gospel being proclaimed in the languages that they can understand and it lists here the parthenians medes elamites mesopotamians jude judea cappadocia pontus asia phrygia pamphylia egypt parts of libya and libya's in north africa near cyrene um, visitors from rome both jews and converts to judaism cretans and arabs Hearing them declare the wonders in their own languages, immediately the church yes. is multi, multilingual yes. at, at minimum, but multicultural yeah. also. So it this idea that you know the church is white is certainly not the perspective of scripture, nor is mm-hmm. it the reality when we look at the global church. So you have any thoughts you want to add there? No, I just think it's, it's so interesting that, um, you know, we do have a multi-ethnic, multilingual, multicultural body that is the body of Christ. And yet when we hear the conversation on church and diversity here in America, you would think that the majority of, you know, the church around the world is white, is impacted by white supremacy, white systems, white privilege, and white Jesus, white Jesus, like that everything about, you know, our faith is just white needs to be decolonized. And it's not true. Yeah. Candy's got a great comment here on YouTube. Uh, She says, I totally agree. Having been on a few mission trips, 
there is how I see the diversity of the church. It's beautiful to see my brothers and sisters in Christ of all nations and tongues. Yeah, I agree. And I think for me, that was impactful in going on a lot of mission trips mm -hmm. as a teenager, going down to Mexico, helping with a church plant multiple times. And just in that little tiny situation, yeah. seeing, you know, those brothers and sisters in Christ, but it is unrealistic, Candy. I think you're right to expect a level of diversity in a rural community that might be more um, homogeneous or monocultural, which is the perfect transition to kind of the next big point yeah. is, um, okay, we've established the global church is already multi-ethnic, mm -hmm. multicultural, multilingual. Multi multilingual. It's been that way since Pentecost. Now let's zoom in for the close-up, local church. We gotta, let's yes. get into that. Let's um, do it. Yeah. Because there are many, I think, and again, this isn't to, to sound racist at all, but there are many, we talk to many white pastors who are guilt-ridden and to a degree, I would say probably like they feel a sense of shame, a, a sense of shame yeah. about their local community um, not being more diverse, which also begs to ask the question, what is your definition of diversity? Or if you're only looking at, you know, ethnic diversity, I think you're going to miss a lot in, in people in general, because people are extremely diverse, whether they, you know, bear the same skin color or not. But I think that there are a lot of pastors really struggling with this question. Yeah. It, I think the lingering question based on my conversations with a lot of them is, oh no, is something defective mm -hmm. or sinful about my church Yes, because it's majority white. And um, they're, they're very nervous to even articulate it. You could tell like when you're talking to them, they start shifting their weight and looking down and they're, they're, they're struggling with putting the words together mm -hmm. sometimes. And um, I, I feel for them yeah. because there is a lot of cultural pressure mm -hmm. for them on this issue. Well, I mean, you think about what's happening in culture and the, the phrase that I keep coming back to is this be less white. Yeah. You know, that I think that one phrase, you know, just says so much about what culture is saying and um, what, what culture is pushing people to. And unfortunately, a lot of that push is also happening in the church because a lot of cultural mindset has seeped into the church. Yeah. And I th think it's interesting that when they talk about ethnic diversity in their church, what they often really are talking about is bringing in Black people. It, it's girl here we go all it's, right it's not that we're gonna i don't know why but it doesn't seem like other ethnicities are seen as well I being completely ethnically diverse that's because in our current conversation on race it is very much a black white binary in my personal opinion um and so you know, when we look back over history and wrongs committed, even though there have been wrongs committed to people of every ethnicity, we focus on the black white issue yeah. of race. And so now it's like, what can I do to be able to um, 
ease this tension or this burden or uh, rectify this problem and things like that. And But the black yeah. white binary has been, I think, to some degree brought into many evangelical churches. Oh, doors swung wide open. There is a little greeter at the front <laughs> saying, hello, come on in. We have, to a degree, um, just allowed culture and, and the cultural narratives to come right up on in into our pulpits. They sit sits next to us on a Sunday morning. I have my fan out. It has its fan out. Yes, cultural narratives wear a little hat and play the, the Hammond organ. <laughs> We need to really clear some things up, but that is for another show. Yeah. Okay. So I'm concerned. I'm a pastor. I'm concerned. Um, I have this mono-ethnic church. How do I know if racism is an actual problem? Let's let's get into that question. Well, you have an all-white church. No, yeah. Just playing. <laughs> but that's, that's that, the narrative. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the truth is having a mono cultural church, mono-ethnic church might be a sin problem. Could be. Could be. Might not be a sin problem. Maybe it's not. Our position is that more data would be needed. We have to have evidence. That's the thing. Like you have to, you have to look around and ask questions, get into conversations with people not just make the assumption that because everyone in my my church has white skin or any specific skin skin color that they are um, perpetrators of racism. Yeah. So just because the majority of white people are in the room mm-hmm. doesn't automatically mean it's a racist space. Yeah. But critical race theory does and tell some Christians. It does tell me that. Yes. So. That might be another way that we've allowed the culture to come in and mm-hmm. affect our thinking. Yes. So um, if I'm keeping out certain people simply because of their ethnicity, that might be a problem. Yes, I would say that is a problem. That's that's partiality. And we're told in um, James, I want to say James 2, not to participate in partiality. So it would be a sin. So... That is some data that we would need to look at is, okay, are we welcoming everybody, no matter what your ethnicity is, to come in and hear the gospel? Yes. Okay. So that type of inclusion, that type of welcoming, we're for, you know, doors wide open. Yes. Yeah. To come hear the gospel. Um, But like Allison was asking before, when we're talking about the multi-ethnic church, my question often back to the pastor when we get in these conversations is, would you tell a Korean pastor that he needs to integrate his Korean-speaking church? Because it's mono-ethnic. Because if there's something defective about a mono-ethnic church, mm-hmm then we're going to have to tell all the Korean pastors, the Chinese pastors, the, the um, Farsi-speaking churches that they need to integrate. Now, here's a question that I think is fair to ask. Because it's a, it's a principle. I think it's a principle, yeah. but those, those churches are based on language. Yes. Whereas a white church would share the same language as yeah. a black church. But they wouldn't necessarily always share the same culture. Yes. So 
all right, let's change the scenario a little bit. Let's say that you have two different cultures. Mm -hmm. Could they authentically conduct a worship service in a way that reflects, you know, part of their culture, maybe in their music? Yeah. Or, um, you know, maybe there's, they they do readings out of scripture in two different languages. Maybe there's a multi-generational situation or something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's worth investigating. Yes. Why is my church monoethnic? Yes. That's what we That's mean. the big question. Okay. Why is it monoethnic? Is it because of sin mm. uh, and partiality? Or is it because of worship preference? Is it because music, music style? It, there could be a myriad of reasons um, why your church may be monoethnic. And this is outside of just looking at like white churches, quote unquote, but any church, there, any church can look and say, Hey, why is my church model ethnic? Yeah. And, um, and inquire about that. Yeah. Because the reasons might be benign Yeah, or they might not be. Mm-hmm. And so, and like someone, I think Candy mentioned earlier, what about rural churches? I mean, if you are a pastor and you're shepherding Christians in rural Wyoming, where in a city where they might have seven African-Americans having a multi-ethnic church might be difficult. Yeah. I mean, I know that there are some people who do rural, I mean, some black people who do rural, I'm not one of them. Um, So I wouldn't, you can have a program to bring me in. I'm not. No. But like we were recently in a church in Pennsylvania Pennsylvania where it was a multi cultural church in that everybody basically was white, Mm -hmm. but that represented two different cultures. Um, There was a significant amount of the congregation who had come out of the Amish community. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely its own culture. culture. Mm -hmm. And then others were more evangelical, you know, upbringing. And here was this church that was sitting right on the border of Amish community. And a, I would say 40 to 50% of the, the women that night at that women's conference mm-hmm. we were at, came out of that. had come out of the Amish or Mennonite community. And so they were bringing their culture with them. Yes. You know, some of them were still dressing in aspects of Mennonite culture, head coverings and dresses and that sort of a thing but then there were women there no head coverings and pants and they were all worshiping together so that was a situation of two very different cultures coming together in christ everyone looks the same externally but there's not there's different cultures there's different cultures yeah so and a lot i we can't I, i the more i reflect on this i think the issue of that you brought up earlier about music preference mm-hmm. is just such a big one. Yes. It it really does, yes, it does. Um, divide people more than we realize. It does. And, you know, I, um, I remember bringing this up in a couple of different places. Um, I don't know if we, how deep we have gone into this, but a lot of times the response is, well, I mean, why can't you just sing these songs? 
with no regard to, well, I might have a different culture, a different um, like style of worship preference. And while, yes, I I do see that preference and things like that are um, not the end all be all, but it does go into my culture. And so in, to a degree, I think when we're looking at making um, or help working to create like a multi-ethnic local church, if people aren't willing to say, hey, you know, this is what we could do here to, you know, be, um, I don't like the word inclusive, but that's what we have, um, to be inclusive of others or to expand our worship to include the, the other cultures that are here. I think people will tend to self-select out into churches that reflect the culture or um, style of music that they're used to. Uh, Rihanna, Bob, over on... Um, I was thinking about her when I said, not all of us. I said, <laughs> I, I'm not one for rural, but she was the exact person I was thinking about. Uh, over on uh, CFBU Facebook, Rihanna's got a great comment. Being a church planter in a very, very rural, very small town where my family was the only Black family in town, while I saw a very non-diverse local church community as far as ethnicity goes, we were very welcomed and embraced. We became a real church family and our skin color was not an issue for the seven years we were there, but it's very unrealistic to expect them to be able to be a multi-ethnic church since there was no real other diversity in these kinds of towns. And I think that that's um, realistic, you know, for many people, but some of these pastors that we've talked to live in white areas and they still have the guilt mm-hmm. and we're like it's okay mm-hmm. you know <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's okay it is you know so good um jeremy when- said monique just touched the third rail music yeah it i mean it's real it is real and it goes both ways i had a conversation with four women in pennsylvania who were kind of upset about my message you know if we if we're honest um and the the topic of um, white systems came up and white supremacy and things like that. And we talked about church and worship being one of those things. And I gave the example, I said, well, you know, if we're gonna look at privilege, don't you think that in a black church, if we are not um, changing our worship, because it was white privilege, they don't, white people don't change their music when a black person comes in. I said, well, you know, wouldn't it be a black privilege because black people don't change their music when a white person comes in? They said, no, that's just preference. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Uh, I tried not to laugh, you know, too hard, but I did laugh. Um, you, music is something that I think people hold near and dear to their heart and my worship style my this my that and you know i'm guilty of it too so yeah but it is it is definitely it's a real challenge it is it's a sensitive subject and there's if you're going to have a multi-ethnic multicultural church there's going to have to be a lot of conversation about music and you're going to have to have a group of people who are willing to have give and take and learn about each other's heart Mm -hmm. song you know yes yes and please teach let's have a clapping class can we clap on the two and the four? Sorry. <laughs> Very good. All right. So talked about some good, good principles here. As we're gathering more data to figure out if there's a, if there's a problem in mm-hmm. our church, you know, some, some things I want to talk about, some things to help our elders, our pastors to think about as potentially helpful questions to investigate. Hey, 
is this a problem? Is yeah. being a mono, mono-ethnic, monocultural church a problem? The big question you and I always like to start people with mm-hmm. is, does the church reflect the demographics of the surrounding community? Yes. Say within the two to five mile radius of the church building. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very basic step, but it's often a new thought. Yes. For, for pastors. It is. It is. You know, what what is your community look like? Yeah. Does your church look like your community? Yeah. And if not, you can ask why. Yeah. You don't have to make a stark judgment about it right then and there. You can just, just be, begin to investigate. Yeah. Yes. So one thing that we do to help churches begin to investigate this is you go to the census website mm-hmm. and type in your zip code and look up stats about the area around your church. Yeah. And you can find out a lot of information. All kind of information. How many people went to high school? Who went to college? What is the median income? How many people have computers? Yeah. How, yes. How many people have been divorced? There are, there's so much. And I'm like, who gives this information to the government? <laughs> Apparently a lot of people. That, I said, they don't, they can't track me down. The devil is a lie. But you, you I'm can, still writing with a pen and paper. <laughs> but you can kind of begin to put together a profile. Yes. Of, of the community that surrounds your church. And then you could look at, you know, who's in your church mm-hmm. and begin to compare. Like, yes. are we a reflection of our community? And, and if, it might not necessarily automatically be a problem if they don't match. Mm-hmm. That might be more opportunity for investigation. Yeah. You know, we're not saying it's an automatic, like, oh, your church is not racist. It doesn't reflect the community. But I think this this really helps to provide a provocative question to, to help leaders dig in. Yes. Let me give you an example. Growing up, probably in my early 20s, um, I went to one church in the city that I lived and a couple blocks down, there was another church and this church, like it had a very old, he was, he was not, I want to say very old, but he was older, oldish white pastor. Very just like, he was very just straight, like straight lace, like no flair. And I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not, I'm really not. I'm not trying. I'm just like, there was no like, sparks and bells and whistles like he was just who he was and he was confident in who he was and I was like okay good for you that but he pastored a very multi-ethnic church very um diverse up and everyone was rushing to this church now my church on the other side of town wasn't bad it was multi-ethnic um but it wasn't in my personal opinion what this church was Come to find out later on that this church actually had a lot of biblical issues happening in it because the pastor wasn't um, necessarily holding people accountable. So I'm telling, I'm, I'm saying this because just because this church may have reflected the community and seemed to have a lot of things going on that another pastor might covet or want doesn't actually mean that they are upholding a biblical precedent. Mm-hmm. And so when we say, look into your community and do you reflect you know, what your community is, if you see another church that is reflective of that community, that doesn't mean that you need to necessarily jump on that bandwagon and go and try to replicate that church. You also have to remember what God 
God is calling you to and how he's calling you to serve your community and the people that he's put in your path to shepherd. Because you never know just because the grass look greener on the other side don't mean that it always is. But that kind of brings us to exploring, you know, why it's the case, Yes, you know, that the church might not reflect the community and why is our church monoethnic or monocultural? Again, doesn't automatically mean a bad. We're just looking into it. We're trying to have a mindset of curiosity, digging in, investigating, getting data. Yeah. Now, possibilities we could we could entertain the idea we I, I call it trying on an idea we could try on the idea that maybe our leadership is apathetic about mm-hmm. reaching the community yeah or maybe we have very energized leadership but we have ap- apathetic congregants yes they, they don't just don't have a vision for mm-hmm. leading the community well then maybe we need to start probing well why is that yeah have we done proper discipleship of our congregation? Have we maybe not communicated our vision very clearly? Mm-hmm. Uh, do we not have a clear pa- uh, clear plan? So again, this is all under the umbrella of investigation. Yes, getting their data. Um, maybe this is just, oh my word, this is, an, this is a blind spot. It's an undetected oversight. Yeah. How did I miss it up mm-hmm. until now? Or maybe you're in an area that is perhaps unchurched, Mm. you know, it's really hard ground. It's hard ground. It's a very secular community. I think about some of the areas like in Portland or some of the areas in Los Angeles or in, um, in Seattle where, you know, you might have your church and wonder why, um, it doesn't look like the particular area that you're in. Well, how has that area demographically changed over Mm. the last five to 10 years? Maybe you're now dealing with a community who is quote unquote, unchurched or who has a harder, you know, they're, they're sitting or, or um, grounded in, in ground that's really hard. So that could be something else to consider. Or the community may have shifted over time and you're in a situation where you have um, a church that's in an inner city context. Mm -hmm. Once upon a time, that church did reflect its community but now people commute into the inner city church and then they leave, they don't actually live there. Mm -hmm. And so then you have this kind of weird situation where you have even a multi-ethnic church in a downtown area, but it's still not reaching the community. Yes. It's just a commuter church where people come in and out. Just a building, yeah. Yeah. And work for people to gather. So investigate, start to think about it how do we get here? How is this showing up? Um, and, and asking good questions, you know, mm-hmm. being a bit of a detective. Now, what could church elders do if they decide they want to take a proactive approach? Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, I, I'm, I'm, and you actually, you wrote a blog about it. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering some of your thoughts, like if they want to make the, maybe the church more multi-ethnic or, um, and not like, and this is something else to thread out. Multi multiculturalism just for multiculturalism. Yeah, we're gonna get into that. Like we'll get the, there. Yeah. yeah. Well, first, let me ask answer your question of like, what steps can we take to really what we're asking is how can the leaders, the elders, help the church more authentically reflect the community? Yeah. Um, to me, the the first thing the church leadership has got to get committed to is preaching the gospel. 
Yes. And bringing the gospel to that com- that community. Too many evangelical churches are content with social programs. They're content with backpack programs, with starting kids sports programs, with um, doing foster care ministry. All of those things can have their place. They can all be good. But what will it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? The fundamental need, the most fundamental need of humanity is the gospel. Yes. And so whatever we're going to do to reach our community, we've got to have the gospel at the tip of the spear. Yes. We cannot trade the gospel for a backpack program. Yeah. We cannot trade the gospel for multiculturalism. We can't. Like, it it, it, it doesn't work. It um, reminds me of C.S. Lewis's first things quote, and I always butcher it, but he says um, something to the effect of when you take the first thing, the thing that should be number one and you make it a number two, you will lose the first and the second thing. Yeah. Like you cannot, you cannot take what is supposed to be most important and put it in a second position or go after the second thing so strongly that you think it is of primary importance Yes. because you'll lose both things. So gospel focus must be first. Yes. And, and then the question is, is how are we as leadership going to mobilize our congregation to engage in this gospel ministry. Yes. What kind of discipleship do we need to start engaging in? Let's get a three to five year strategic plan together. Mm -hmm. What are our tangible goals? How are we going to train our own congregants to be able to share the gospel with their eight to 15 people in their life. Does your congregation know the gospel? Yeah. Like, and this, this is a, a legit question. When we have um, statistics that show that many grown Americans, adult Americans have such a poor or, or low biblical literacy, the, asking the question of does my congregation actually know what the gospel is and what it means and how to communicate that is a question that every pastor should be asking. Yeah. So I think that that's a big reef focus that a lot of churches need to to have is all right we're going to reach our community we're going to start a backpack program no (laughs) we're going to reach our community we're all going to get mobilized on what is the gospel and how do i share it yeah and then um thinking about how am i going to communicate and disciple that disciple my congregants into that vision Mm -hmm. so first all the elders get on the same page then they develop a, a, strat, a strategic plan, how we're going to get our congregation on that same page. And we're all going to have a biblical vision for how we're going to bring the gospel to our community. And then thinking of, all right, how are we going to reach these people that are right around our church? There might be even people in your church that you have to, to reach with the gospel. Mm-hmm. There might be people that are just coming to your church thinking they're a Christian, but there hasn't been a real gospel presentation in a while, Mm -hmm. you know, so we've got to get clear about that. But we, we, we also don't want to fall into the trap of making this just about reaching diversity goals. And that is exactly where, where I wanted to go. And what I was going to say is that, you know, I know that some people might hear this and say one, well, three to five years, man, we'll never be diverse. We got, that's a lot of steps. I don't know if we need to take that many steps to get diverse. You're, you're missing the point. We don't diversity for the sake of diversity. Isn't the goal. The gospel is the goal that that's the goal. 
diversity happens when the, when the gospel goes out. Mm. Now, if you are looking at the two to five miles around your church, and if the two to five miles around your church are mono-ethnic, then you deal with what you have and you understand the diversity also means so much more than just ethnic diversity. Yeah. We um, were at a church last year and the surrounding area around this church, two to five miles, was an income of about $100,000 per, per home, so $120,000 yeah, $120, $120, a year, according to the census data. Yeah, according, according to the census. And when we got there, this I was like, check, the census is correct. And so, that, but that's fine. I'm not here to judge your, your socioeconomic status. But this church also, in order to be diverse and to reach this diversity goal, then did programs on the other side of town to be able to reach the poor black and brown kids. That's what you choose to do as your outreach. That's what you choose to do as your, as your outreach. But there was no outreach and community, community focus on the people right within their neighborhood. And they didn't, they didn't see it as a mission field because of their income. Now, if I go one step further, there was actually someone, this was in the height of COVID, there was someone who was actually in their church who, whose car in the middle of COVID broke down and they didn't have a way to get to church. And they talked about this person as if, well, yeah, she hasn't been here in a while because her car broke down. And it's a very affluent, it was a, a more affluent area. I'm not gonna say very affluent, but it was a more affluent area. So you don't have buses that just, buses don't there tend were, to run there in, were no in buses affluent there. areas. Okay, so if you didn't know that buses don't run in affluent areas, usually do some, you can check that out. But um, this, this person didn't have a way to get to church. And so I was like, y'all taking your resources all the way 20 miles down the highway to go and reach out to another community and yet you're missing the people within the two to five miles around your church and the, the person in your church actually there's no re resource for her to get to church all because the people around your church are mono-ethnic and of a certain socioeconomic status this is what we don't do this is what we don't do we stay gospel-centered we look around our church and we don't judge that the people around our church don't need the gospel. People around our church definitely need They the might gospel. have different needs. Yeah, but there they, is a need. Yeah, so in that community, even though there was a ton of financial affluence, there was still deep spiritual poverty. Mm -hmm. And so we can't miss a group just because they're affluent yeah. or just because they're white or whatever, we cannot make that mistake. I would challenge people to really consider what your definition of diversity is. Yeah. And and then get into the Bible and understand how do how does the scripture um define diversity or or consider diversity. Yeah. Okay. So when we think about leadership, this is another question that we get. Um, oh, this is a fun one. Go ahead. People ask us, you know, can I fix my mono ethnic problem in my church by recruiting black elders? And they always want black elders. <laughs> they don't, you know, they don't want Asian elders. I don't know, but they they'll come to us and mm -hmm. and ask us, you know, is this how I can fix my problem? Um, and they, they're wanting to talk to us about recruiting strategies. Don't you know a group 
or a list uh, yeah where i can recruit a minority as if that's not partiality to some usually a black person yeah as a means of this is how i'm going to begin to fix my monoethnic race problem in my church and this this it comes from a, a probably a good heart posture you know a good place they're wanting to correct here's some, uh, something that i think that the, the culture has again seeped into our thinking telling us that they need to correct the power dynamics yes. of their elder team and so the way yes. they're going to correct their power dynamics is rotating off a couple of white people and bringing on a uh, person of color sorry about that that's okay keep going that's okay ringity ring so uh (laughs) keep going (laughs) but this is i think that this is another way that i think sometimes the culture comes in and seeps into our thinking this whole power dynamics Mm -hmm. conversation all right do you want to add something no, no, I was, well, you know what I do? I was going to say, of course you do. when we think about, again, the cultural lens through which we look at things, when we look at power dynamics, we, and we say, well, we don't want power dynamics, you know, to, to, to have a hold in our church. Well, at some point we have to figure out, well, what does the scripture say about power? Is all power wrong or bad? Or is only this concept of, white power, you know, what, what we're standing against. I don't think people understand that when you start to stand against white power, you're to a degree also standing against male patriarchy, Mm -hmm. according to the culture. But yet, what do you do with God who, you know, describes himself in scripture as man? What do you do with Jesus who, or as a, as a male, you know, what do you not saying that God was a physical, like, like that. But describe me yeah, as father. Father. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. What do you do with Jesus who came in the flesh as a physical man? Um, you know, what do you do with the priesthood? What do you do with senior pastors who are men? There's power dynamics within church. There's power dynamics in the scriptures. You know, God claims that there is no one above him. I know you talking about that's not a power dynamic. I don't really know what to tell you, but that that is not not according to what our culture defines yeah. as power dynamics. But hierarchies that, that, that are, is a hierarchy. Hierarchies are part of the created order, definitely. Um, so when we're thinking about biblical leadership, mm-hmm. biblically qualified leadership, mm-hmm. it's another issue that I think pastors have to think carefully about. Because we hear a lot of stories of elders being in um, that that office because they are successful in business, mm-hmm. because they donate a certain amount to the church. Oh, that's ugly. Go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had a, a letter to that effect recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people who um, aren't meeting the biblical qualifications of leadership. So looking at Titus chapter one, first Timothy chapter three, there are very specific criteria for leadership in a local church. And melanin is not a part of that list. It is not. It Being able to correct someone's doctrine, mm-hmm. preserve sound doctrine in the mm-hmm. church, being able to teach sound doctrine, mm-hmm. having a life that is morally upright, yes. not being a person who's greedy, 
or quick to um, be angry. Making sure your kid's in order. Yeah. So there's a lot of qualifications. We need to go back to the scripture and start with that as our foundation. Because yes. Mm, mm, mm. But mm, recruiting mm. elders based on melanin is, in my opinion, a form of, of adding to the law of God. It is not a biblical criteria for leadership. Mm. Now, that's an unpopular opinion. That is an unpopular opinion, especially when, you know, and this is going to be ugly and I'm just going to apologize right now, but what you're seeing in some churches is like, yeah, we can overlook the fact that, you know, they've been divorced four times and, you know, they, he's sorting some things out with his kids and, you know, he and his wife are kind of, his current wife are kind of, yeah, but he, he black. You know, we don't, we don't do that. Like that's not how we participate. It's just not, we cannot give people passes because of their melanin count. Yeah, That's not how church tradition has done things. It's not how our church fathers have, you know, instructed us in the faith. And it is not what the scriptures say. So when we're wondering, how do I select an elder? How do I select a pastor for my church? We need to look to the things that the church has been built upon, the scriptures, the traditions, and the fathers. Yeah. So when we're thinking about leadership, there's a great example in Acts chapter 13, um, and I don't know if Bob has that. I can't remember if I sent it to him or not. But um, if you read the first three verses of Acts chapter 13, you get this awesome list of, oh, there it is. Bob the Magic Man, he's got it. The church in Antioch, which is the sending church for Paul and Barnabas when he send, they, they're sent out on their missionary journey. And it says that uh, there were prophets and teachers there, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, so it's North Africa, Manian, who has been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we have right here just this little snapshot of the leadership in the Antioch church, and they are multi-ethnic. And um, we would see us, uh, I'm going to talk about Acts 6 in just a minute in a different context, but that would be another example. And so the leadership in, in the church in Antioch is organically multi-ethnic. It's a mixture uh-huh. of Greek-speaking Jews, Roman citizens, um, even somebody from North Africa. Yeah. So multicultural, multi-ethnic leadership was not the result of a calculated campaign to even out racial power dynamics. So they didn't have a list. <laughs> it was the natural outworking of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, again, these leaders, the assumption is that they were identified based on their godly character. They were based on the criteria that Paul outlines in Titus and Timothy, not their ethnic identity. The mm-hmm. ethnic identity is there as a natural outworking to demonstrate the power of the gospel. So this is why we have been strongly cautioning churches for over for two years now against recruiting elders and staff simply to meet diversity goals. Yes. That's not how we should be. That's a worldly standard. And I think that that could even quickly degenerate into like this terrible form of tokenism. Yeah, it's it. 
tokenism, yes, definitely. Um, partiality, um, missing people who are right before you, who may be the best fit, who may be the people that could, you know, really help not take your church to the next level in the way this popular way, but help, you know, disciple your people um, and, and bring them farther along in the word of God. So yes, I, I, I won't go down the Katandri trail, but I think that that doing that, looking at looking for someone based specifically on their melanin count is is a cultural aspect. You see, you saw this happening in the Supreme Court. That was the Kataji situation. We should You went there acting, anyways. I did. We should not be acting like the culture. If I notice that the culture is doing something and I see it happening in my church, I just, oh, shucky, ducky, quack, quack. I need to go. I need, we need to shut this down <laughs> quick because there aren't many things that the culture is doing that I would want to see reflected in my church. Yeah. Does that mean that the culture can never borrow from my worldview? No, but by and large, if it's happening in the culture and we're adopting that and bringing that into the church, we are far, we, we've gone astray. Yeah. We, we've left the path. Yeah. Now I will say that I think that there's a really helpful example in, in, and I'm going to call it a descriptive example now, when I think about the, the qualifications for elders in Timothy and Titus, those are prescriptive passages. They're imperatives, they're commands, okay? When we get to the book of Acts, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, this is a descriptive example that I think could be used to show that sometimes having a cultural insider can be helpful mm -hmm. to help a church reach its outreach goals. Yes. And, you know. Um, but again. Yeah. Outreach goals, goals of evangelism. Yeah. Not we're going to hire a person of color because they're a person of color because right. we have a diversity goal. No, this person can help us in taking the gospel forward or meeting a very specific need within the church because yes. there's a cultural community that, that we're, we're ministering to yes. Yes. that are Christians. And, and so um, in Acts chapter six, I don't know if Bob has that, but, um, oh, great. You're awesome. So this is a situation where there's a whole bunch of church, uh, Christians coming in to the church and there's these Hellenistic Jews, they're Greek speaking Jews mm -hmm. and they're widows. And they were getting kind of short shrifted, overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gather kind of a leadership team. They put together a committee mm -hmm. and they appoint some uh, men to uh, seven men among you who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So notice these are qualified people. Mm -hmm. The assumption here is that these are biblically qualified people and we're going to turn this responsibility over to them. And these are kind of the precursors, the proto-deacons uh, in the early church mm -hmm. of, of serving the poor. And they're going to give attention to prayer and ministry to the word of the word to this particular um, ethnic group who speaks a particular language. And so when they appointed these men, notice that their names are all Hellenistic. They're, they're Greek speaking people. And so Stephen is among them, uh, Philip, 
Uh, this is where <coughs> Philip gets introduced. Uh, Nicholas from Antioch is a convert to Judaism. So they, they appoint these insiders who know the culture, mm -hmm. know the language. So they didn't just go out and find random people. Yes. They were qualified people to engage in a very specific ministry to help these widows. Yeah. And I think that that helps to provide an example of um, when a cultural, an insider's knowledge of a culture can be helpful yes. in, in a church situation. Now, I will say there are some people who try to use this one passage as like a leverage point to build an entire model of, you know, for aspects of critical social theories and yeah. racial issues or diversity for diversity's sake the, yeah. that that passage can get turned upside down in so many different ways see only only you know black people can work with black people and that isn't necessarily what the passage is is getting at these people had a very specific need and these people were available to that but i think that is a uh a a context that is different still than our context today to some degree. Yeah. So when we're thinking about, all right, now let's make it practical. Yeah. You know, we live near a very large mega church that is a predominant, has been historically been a predominantly white church, but the neighborhood has changed. Mm -hmm. And it is now, when I was growing up, it was a predominantly black neighborhood. Yeah. And it's now a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood mm -hmm. that surrounds the church. And um, that church about 10 or 15 years ago realized, you know, our church is not a reflection of the community. Mm -hmm. So they started doing some things to reach out to their community. They started doing some things with human trafficking because that is a big problem in our area yeah. and in our county. And so this church started getting really active about human trafficking issues. They started doing more gospel ministry outreach in that community. But the ideal situation is then as you're thinking about those strategic goals, you have qualified men from the inside mm -hmm. to spearhead that outreach who are also native to that culture and that language. That's the ideal. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have that, what should we do? You don't have that leadership. I, I think it can be tricky if you don't have that leadership. I think that, I don't know. I, 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 I'm trying to, I was thinking about something completely different oh, when you right. asked me that question. What would you say? I would say, well, first of all, you gotta notice like, oh, look. We want to reach our community, but we don't actually have anybody who's culturally or linguistically native to the very community we want to reach. Yes. So we're going to have to maybe first get a plan of, do we have a man in our congregation that maybe isn't an elder yet, but yes. could be a qualified elder that we add to our I elder team? Saying. Yes, I'm with you. Or maybe we need to think about, you know what we need to be doing is, having a program to train up more elders. That's see this. Yes. We're on the same page. I was thinking, you know, when we want to reach or when we want to raise up elders or pastors or, you know, deacon teams and things yeah. like that, that are diverse, 
how do we do that by looking within the congregation that is built up of people within the community that is you know the way to have a diverse leadership team is because we're reaching out to a diverse community yeah and even at the end of the day you know you could always try to get something started um with a partnering ministry maybe mm -hmm. there's a church that's already in that community yeah. that's already servicing those people that you could partner with mm -hmm. and they might be able to get you connected to qualified leadership, yeah. you know, that you could have a shared responsibility for a while or figure out how you could support them and what they are already doing. Yes. More church cooperation instead of like everybody being in a little silo. Yeah. And outside of the realm of diversity or, or ethnic diversity, um, we had a conversation with someone, I don't, maybe it was just me, but um, someone who leads a, a deaf community, a deaf, oh, yeah. they do deaf worship. Um, and the deaf, the Christian deaf community is extremely small here in, in the States. And so th they kind of partnered with some other churches and decided, hey, look, we're going to be the, the deaf church in this area. And now we're all, we can all participate in the outreach to, to the deaf community because everyone had like, you know, a couple of people who spoke sign language, that, but we're going to the charge that we contact that we uh, direct your people here because we have these resources to be able to um, really care for people um, who are deaf well and so it was it's like a conglomerate of churches who are doing this but you know one church is is the place where they land mm. and so I just think that to your point like how can we work together this isn't necessarily for diversity of ethnicity but it is diversity um, in more of the larger scope yeah so we've talked a lot about white church issues. Yeah. Let's talk for a few minutes as we wrap up here about black church issues. Now, you, how are you going to say as we wrap up black <laughs> church? That's a whole nother show, but go ahead. Well, in the black church way, you say, well, it'll just be a minute. And that'd be out of your way. I'll be out of your way. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. So how does, how, how do you think some of these multicultural pressures are impacting the black church? Like, are they trying to integrate too? Honey, I am diverse. <laughs> Don't play no games. Um, I don't think that that conversation happens very often unless a pastor is extremely intentional and does not um, just take for granted that because you have a black church and it is diverse. The I have not been in an all black church where anyone has ever given a I don't want to say anyone that, that that's a huge assumption, but I will say where we have had a public conversation on making the church diverse every time i've been to black church with you there's always three white people though and i don't know where they always come from <laughs> maybe it's the music but I, I don't know but um but yeah there hasn't in my experience there isn't intentional conversation on how can we um have more ethnic diversity. The conversation is that we are diverse. Now we might have, you know, festivals or feasts or, you know, things like that, where everybody kind of, you know, like multicultural festivals, everybody just brings a little dish from, you know, something like that. But not too many people give a thought if there isn't a, a German um, dish there or someone representing Sweden or France or, you know, so, and not to say that, you know, those places are only um, white, but 
it it just it really doesn't we don't have that pressure but i think that that is something that we should be investigating like why do we put such a hard pressure on white churches to become diverse and multi-ethnic and yet one many um I, i'd say there there are quite a few people within black churches who would not go in um you know sit at a at a white church usually because of worship preference but you know I think with the conversation of safe space and all of that, there are a lot of people who, you know, would not choose to worship out a all white congregation. But do we think that we don't have any responsibility to bear in, um, in the multicultural conversation? I think that that's something that we should be really considering because we are the body as well. Hmm. And as, 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 part of the body, we also participate in these conversations. Once again, we want to encourage you to go check out our friends at Impact 360. We're going to be speaking there again uh, in a couple of months at their summer camp. Yes. Yeah. Money yeah, can't I remember. Trying to think. You know, Candy made a comment about the video. She said, after this convo, I n- now notice how white this Impact 360 ad is. Nothing wrong with that. I just suddenly notice it now. Very, very interesting um, observation. I think that that is a conversation that many organizations like Impact 360 could find themselves in. Impact 360 is located in a very, very rural part of Georgia. Um, and you know, ministries like theirs that, that are, you know, more out in the, the woods. I'm from LA that it is the woods. Rihanna, um, Rihanna will be sending her children there. There it is. Um, <laughs> she but, likes fishing and no, being no, outside. Mm-mm, no. Um, but, you know, and on a serious note, if, if you aren't careful, the question can start to be, well, is there something wrong with our ministry? Yeah. What's wrong with our ministry? How can we, you know, make make our ministry more diverse? We need to, you know, and then you start to chase this diversity goal instead yeah. of chasing um, Jesus and wanting to send out the gospel. And so, yeah. you know, Impact 360 has, um, you know, has an, an awesome ministry to young people. And when we've gone, um, I think that, that the group's, are predominantly white, but that doesn't mean that one, there's anything wrong with that, um, the groups of students, and two, that they that it is only white because it's not. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to, uh, Bob, we're gonna go to Facebook, uh, the CFBU feed. There's a good uh, comment there, tell them what it is. From Rihanna. She says, should I wait for him to get it? Uh, he's, he's, I'm sure he's, we got a team of people. Awesome. There we Working go. on it. All right, there she it says, is. I think the churches that are quote unquote all black think they have a right to be that way because of the history of having to have their own churches as slaves and back in Jim Crow days. But I think it's because many aren't willing to try to make it more integrated. The black church is very protective of their churches to remain authentic to the black experience. I would say, yeah, that that's um, been a lot of what I've seen as well. That because there was a necessity there, for the black church. There was there was a necessity for the black church, um, especially you know with, with the church in Philadelphia and um, 
think his name was Robert Allen and um, Absalom Jones and, you know, these people who really formed the Black church, there was a need. If, if Blacks were going to be able to worship and worship together, there was a need for a, a Black church community. Um, and so, you know, I think we should now be asking other questions, though, on how do we ease up on our, you know, level of protection of the Black church? And is there a Black experience that needs to be protected? Yeah, good questions. All right, let's go out to uh, YouTube, Bob. And we're going to kind of scroll through some of the comments. Um, all right, can you scroll up? Yeah, that one black girl was in every shot. We noticed that too, Candy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, go ahead and scroll up. Um, this is a good question. Uh, Jamie says, in my experience, church leaders often hesitate to partner with churches that belong to other denominations. You've had some. Yes, I have a lot of thoughts about that. And a lot of experience. <laughs> a lot of, yes, 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 yes. Where it is like, well, you know, they are the assemblies of God. And so we can't partner with them. We are Baptist and, you know, or you we faced are, this mm -hmm. in previous situations. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and many people suffer. I think people don't understand that, you know, there, there's a real suffering that happens um, in communities when people, when churches participate like that. Yeah. Um, there was another comment I wanted to do on um, YouTube. Is it that, uh, that one? Oh, Jeremy, stop it. Is it wrong to take a black six over a white eight for the sake of diversity asking for a friend? That's a quote from Matt Chandler yes. from MLK 50, I think. That is, is where, that's hilarious. Where, where that quote is from, where he was talking about their church trying to recruit a black pastor and he had a professional recruiting team and he told them he would take a lesser qualified black candidate over a more qualified white candidate but who wants to be that person is that kind of tokenism that it, one that is tokenism but two who wants to be the the we only brought you because you black person like you wasn't really qualified but like no mm, yeah no mm-mm that would just, that would make me tell you, you can take the job back. I'll be kind. That's the sanitized version um, of that. Kathy Ann Tilly says, suffer how many other churches should not put up together. Okay, so, it, and I'll give a specific example. Um, I was working in social service and I was working in a Christian social service agency. And... Oftentimes, many of the, the churches would come and like drop off food and things like this at this one central location that I, that I worked at. So it didn't matter what the denomination was. Um, the congregants would just come and, you know, help keep the shelves lined with food or with body wash and things like that. Well, at the 
I want to say it was right when COVID was was starting. We were feeding somewhere, oh, gosh, hundreds, thousands, yeah, thousands um, of people, and, and so it was at, at the food pantry where I was working. And I had a thought of, you know, hey, if we could get these churches to, to actually work together, then we wouldn't have, you know, everybody just bringing rice, <laughs> you know, like, or if, um, you know, there could be a concerted effort to fundraise for, you know, this thing and every church gave a thousand dollars and now and i'm not talking about you know a small storefront church or things like that. i'm talking about very affluent churches um and it was there was about five within this this very isn't it's, 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 it's a, a very, very affluent, affluent area, area. Yeah. yeah so I, I was looking at i think it's five churches in maybe a two to three mile radius and they were just like no we that's not and we can't you want us to come together not going to happen. And so I was just like, well, people, people are literally suffering because we won't come together. Like we can't, we could, you know, use this opportunity to share the gospel, to get creative about how we share the gospel, um, to get creative about how we help to meet needs and things like that. And so, yeah, that's where that comment came from. Okay, I want to kind of round things out tonight and just let you know that uh, I have a blog post on this topic. The moderators have put it in the chat for everyone. It's called, Should Every Church Be Multi-Ethnic? It's located at the Center for Biblical Unity blog, and people can check that out. So be sure to share the show uh, and the blog post with the pastor, your leadership team, uh, people that you think will be interested in. Many of these principles that we've outlined tonight could even be applied in ministry contexts, Christian school contexts, not just for churches. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also, um, I would just encourage you to really think about how you consider diversity. Hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of pressure to be ethnically diverse, but what about being socioeconomically diverse? What about hmm. being diverse, you know, having a diverse age group in your congregation? What about having a diverse set of abilities? Um, you know, are there people who can minister or communicate with someone who may speak sign language? You know, what what are what does diversity truly look like or are we caught up in the culture's definition of of diversity yeah and we recognize we want to just give a shout out to all the faithful pastors out there yes. um we know that many of you are grinding out for the for the glory of god and to spread the gospel you're 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 working in small to mid-sized churches you don't have a big platform and we want to say thank you for your faithfulness. Your congregation mm-hmm. thanks you. And we recognize that there are many, many challenges in being a pastor. We're here to support you. If you want to reach out to us, yeah. you know, we're here. And we've given you a lot of tips tonight and things that we normally keep behind, you know, the, the closed door and, and on Zoom. But we're, we're sharing a lot of great information tonight that we hope will help push you a little bit further down the road. Our hope is to provide a way to think about the multi-ethnic church issue that is founded on scripture first, not on the whims of cultural pressure. For some, this is going to provide some relief. Mm -hmm. For others, it might open some new challenges, but we're here. So reach out to us. Yeah. Remember, um, diversity for diversity's sake is not the goal. The goal is always to share the gospel. 
So good. All right, my friends, make sure you are subscribed both to all the things and the off code podcast because off code drops tonight at yes. midnight. Oh, you guys, I hope you like it. I'm so excited about We're this gonna episode. We're going to introduce you to a new friend. Yes. We know you're going to love. You'll probably be seeing more of him. Yes. Can I tell him what, what the topic's about? Yeah. Go All right. We're going to talk about Freemasonry within the Black community and the Black church. I know many people don't think about it, but yes, it is. It's something that definitely impacts the Black community and the Black church. So, so they're going to offer some thoughts. Yes. All right, dear friends. We love you. Take care. God bless. God bless. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week. <laughs>